Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the Hudson Institute, please be welcome to our conference on Nicaragua this afternoon. Latin America has advanced notably in leading dictatorial regimes back into democratic governments. Starting the 21st century, democracy was prevalent in the hemisphere, while military dictatorships had shrunk into oblivion, or so it was believed. Well, that was then. Today, democracies are still vigorous and prevalent. However, there remain a few open wounds that each day call for increased attention and action in the hemisphere. In particular, two countries, Nicaragua and Venezuela, are back to murdering and jailing their citizens. Caracas and Managua have become the killing fields of Latin America. How sad. In Nicaragua, for weeks, hundreds of young men have lost their lives in public demonstrations in Managua and other cities. They seek democracy, real democracy, not the dictatorial hammer of Daniel Ortega. We're fortunate to have with us three outstanding speakers to discuss with us the maladies of Nicaragua and the reaction of hemispheric organizations to the tra tragic picture of this nation. The first to speak will be one of the most prominent journalists and intellectuals in Latin America, my distinguished friend and old boss at La Nación, and former ambassador of Costa Rica to the United Nations, Don Eduardo Liuarri. He will be fall, followed by Professor Jean Polga Hesimovic. Está bien a professor of comparative politics at the U.S. Navy Academy. is one of the most sought after specialists to discuss his research on the effects of political institutions on democratic stability and policy making and governance in Latin America. Finally, we're very honored to have with us Victor Agustin Cuadras Andino who is a Nicaraguan youth leader and activist who will speak of his experience in mobilizing protests against Daniel Ortega's regime. After the presentations, we will open a period of questions from the public. Our thanks to Sean Kelly, our Director of Public Activities at Hudson, for his very valuable assistance. He and his staff merit our appreciation. Also very important, I thank Dr. John Walters, Vice President of Hudson, for his backing and counsel. And without any further ado, we turn the microphone to Eduardo Ulibarrian. Before he comes up here, uh, this is in today's New York Times. 
is seldom to have, except for tragedies of big magnitude, to get a full page of the New York Times in today's edition. Well, those are the good news, I guess. Don Eduardo. Well, thank you very much, Jaime, for your kind words, and especially for your unconditional and long-lasting friendship. I have never been his boss, really. Yes, <laughs> he was a contributor to the newspaper that I used to edit in, in Costa Rica, but that's a very distinguished uh, contributor. I decided to prepare a set of four uh, slides uh, together with a couple of uh, graphics about the situation in Nicaragua in order to organize the four basic topics that I would like to, to cover. And well, I, I thank you, Jaime and the Hudson Institute for the invitation and you for being here. I'm sorry I, I didn't mention that uh, before. I will try to refer first to the elements that contributed to the creation in Nicaragua of what I think it could be called um, an autocratic statu quo that lasted in one way or another until the beginning of the mid-April mid of this year. Then I would like to refer to what happened in order to erosion that kind of statu quo and create the turmoil that Nicaragua now faces and the repression that re the regime has undertaken against uh, its population. And that will be the third topic. And finally, I would like to look a little bit into the future with all the risks that such an exercise uh, includes in order to discuss a little bit what options there could be for the situation in uh, Nicaragua. Well, if we ask ourselves, and of course everything that I'm going to, to talk here is uh, limited because of, for the sake of, of time, so I have, to, I have had to be very selective, but what have been like the building blocks of the regime of Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua back since 2006 when he first uh, became uh, elected? up to now, and he has been re-elected twice by different maneuverings. First, because of the decision of the Constitutional Court that allowed a continuous re-election, and they threw throughout a, an amendment of the Constitution. Well, there are certain blocks that have been very important in order to build, let's say, that wall of statu quo with uh, soft repression. First, there have been continuously a deliberate and successful effort either to pressure, control, own law, or co-opting different sectors of the Nicaraguan society. And that has worked especially with some political parties, with the private sector, and also at some time with the Catholic Church and the Evangelical Church, more so up to now. Uh, the combination of these elements have uh, induced, at the same time, an increasing control of institutions in Nicaragua, with the complicity, for example, 
of the Liberal Constitutional Party, that is one of the traditional parties in Nicaragua, and led by former President Antonio Arnoldo Alemán, Ortega was able to take control of the judiciary, the electoral tribunal, the controller's office, and all other major institutions in, in Nicaragua. At the same time, they started to weaken opposition parties to the extreme of outlawing some candidates in the previous 2016 election. With the church, the relations have been um, accidental. At some time, uh, Cardinal Miguel Obando y Bravo was uh, closed to, to Ortega and his family. But now the church has taken a different turn and have become, as we'll see, one of the major sources, uh, not exactly of opposition, but of independence and counterpoint to the government. And up to the, to the um, rebellion that started on April 18th, the evangelical church was close to a great extent to Ortega, but that has been changed. So you have either control, co-option, regulation, uh, or repression, depending of, of your attitudes, of political parties, of the churches, at the same time of independent sectors, civil society, and a deliberate effort in order to take control of the news media in Nicaragua. Not throughout expropriation, but by buying media, using, in general, funds from Venezuela, and by harassing and controlling and trying to repress the independent media. So the major TV networks in Nicaragua are either owned or controlled by the, uh, by the Ortega uh, family. We also have had uh, election manipulation. It was really open and almost impossible to hide in the 2016 presidential and congressional elections. Uh, there have been, and this has been very, very important, a collusion between the government and the major business sectors in Nicaragua that lasted until April of this year. It was a very peculiar arrangement. It was a deinstitutionalized arrangement by which Ortega and the big business people of Nicaragua agreed amongst, uh, about certain rules of procedures in Nicaragua. And we could say that Nicaragua was a very business-friendly country, but without institutions to give, to give judicial certainty to that business friendship. Uh, but the, the business sector of Nicaragua and also some international investors that have invested in light manufacturing in Nicaragua have been, to some extent, enjoying a very good relation with Ortega up to, to this uh, rebellion. And they have provided coverage to Ortega. And even that they have been influential with international sectors in order to avoid the imposition earlier on of sanctions against some uh, government officials uh, in Nicaragua. Then we also had the massive influx of Venezuelan subsidies. Those influx didn't go through the national budget or, of Nicaragua, but through some public-private partnerships 
and corporations basically controlled by the Ortega family and his cronies. And then there have been a very wise maneuvering with international sectors. For example, the Nicaraguan army has had very good relationships with the Southern Command of the US, which is based in Panama, especially for the interdiction of drug trafficking that has pleased the US government along the, the years. And also, they have had good relations up again to April 18th with the Secretary General of the Organization of American States, contrary to what has happened with Venezuela, where since the beginning of repression, um, the Secretary General of the OAS took a very strong position against uh, the regime. And finally, using all this setup, and especially the Venezuelan subsidies, the government has been able to uh, go into personal dealings, handouts, and clientelism with some sectors of Nicaraguan society. So I think these have been the key elements right. of the authoritarian uh, statu quo or the soft repression of, uh, of Nicaragua. And I would add to that that there has been some reasonable economic growth in Nicaragua, an average of 5% in the whole Ortega uh, period. And I would also say a very good management of macroeconomic policy. And we can say that the only real independent institution in Nicaragua up to a, point, to a point now is the central bank. And it has remained as such until, until now. So the other uh, thing that I would like to cover is what was happening in the meantime. Well, we had two elections, the 2016 presidential and congressional elections. We had the municipal elections of 2017 and the manipulation, the repression, the outlawing of uh, independent candidates in both elections was so open that the very weak institutional and democratic legitimacy that the regime pretended to have weakened a lot due to those uh, elections. There have been different calculations about what the degree of abstention in the Nicaraguan elections was. According to the Electoral Tribunal, which is controlled by Ortega, it was roughly about 35%. But uh, some opposition groups say that it was between 65 and 17 and 70%. That was in 2016. Anyway, it was a massive uh, abstention that what Nicaragua faced. Also, the downfall of, of Venezuela, of course, have eliminated the subsidies that affected public finances and the ability of the government to provide uh, sources of clientelism and also the public finances together with the weakening of the pension system of Venezuela presented a major defiance to the government. And I think that that created the first uh, breakdown with the private sector because the government wanted to impose new taxes and the government decided to go ahead with a reform of the pension system 
by the way, stimulated by the International Monetary Fund. That's uh, one of the paradoxical things of all this. But they went ahead uh, with that system without consultation with sectors of the, of the population. Uh, all this started to exhaust the quid pro quo that Ortega and the business sector had established. And you have to add to that the massive corruption in Nicaragua in which you, you need to live in order to make business to a certain uh, extent. Also due to repression, due to the lack of legitimacy of the elections, many sectors started to take a more um, oppositional approach to the regime. And I would say that among those sectors, probably the peasants, the organized peasant movement of Nicaragua and students have been at, at the forefront. And one element that affected a lot the attitude of peasants was the so-called, the, the project of the so-called Grand Canal of Nicaragua that became a mirage uh, in the 2013 and 2014 Nothing has happened in terms of, of construction, but what has happened is that a lot of land was expropriated by the, by the state in order to give it to the supposed Chinese consortium that has been in charge of the canal. When the construction was inaugurated the, in 2014, and then it didn't go out, uh, what the government said that by 2020, the canal would be operation, operational, and that at least 3,500 vessels would pass every year through the canal, and that 350,000 people would uh, leave poverty in Nicaragua. Nothing of that has happened. And of course, that has created a lot of frustration, especially among those people who have been expropriated of uh, their land. Also, as we all know, the ideological and political balance of uh, Latin America has changed. The ALBA group, led by Venezuela and Cuba, doesn't have any major influence right now. And the major countries of uh, Latin America, uh, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Peru, I am not going to include Costa Rica, but it's very important in, the, in, the, in that because of the, of the tradition of, of Costa Rica, has been very active in opposing repression and, of course, have political and ideological outcome, uh, outlooks, I'm, I'm sorry, very, very different from the ALBA countries, as well as Chile and even Uruguay, which is governed by a leftist uh, coalition. I put in question marks whether the US has changed its attitude, because I am not so sure. Uh, of course, the US is not happy with the Ortega regime, but has been happy with the behavior of the uh, Nicaraguan army. And there are some uh, business interests of the US that have had businesses in, in Nicaragua. And there are some sectors of the evangelical churches in, in the US that have very good relations with evangelical churches in, in, in Nicaragua that at the same time have had very good relations with the Ortega regime. So this gives us um, a signal on how able Ortega has been in managing uh, relations internationally. It's, it resembles to a certain extent the situation of Manuel Ortega 
in Panama in the late 80s. He was able to work with everybody, with the Cuban intelligence, with the CIA, with the Southern Command, with everybody, up to a point when it was unsustainable to keep that. But well, you had a, a US invasion at that time that, that is not possible any, anymore in, in, in Latin America. But well, on April 18th, the car castle fell in Nicaragua. And maybe it was not so much surprising that it fell, but the speed at which it has fallen. Uh, it, it's very, very difficult to comprehend, but it happened. My explanation is basically included in this um, slide. Well, first, the unconsulted negotiation and change and reform of the pension system that increased the age of a pension, uh, increased the contributions of the pensioners, and decreased the benefits. Uh, so everything was against the people who were in the pension system, and of course, the businesses that had to contribute to it. Then, as you know, there were protests. There was a, a very undiscriminated repression against those protests that con provoked a real civil rebellion that has ignited even more repression. According to the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights, the last count that they have, there have been at least 317 <laughs> people killed in Nicaragua. That's really surprising in so short a period of time in a country that has roughly six million and a half population. It's, it's really, really, really impressive. There was a total rupture with the business sector, up to now, at least. A, a civil opposition coalition was created by students, peasants, some uh, political parties. The business sector was there. The Catholic Church tried to mediate uh, a dialogue in order to look forward to a political solution. Most of the sectors there asked for early elections, which Ortega has rejected, and the dialogue was a, a, a failure. And as the repression increased, the Catholic Church, or at least part of the Catholic hierarchy of Nicaragua, has taken a very strong opposition a position against the regime, as well as the Moravian Church, which in Nicaragua is very important along the Atlantic coast because of the mosquito population, and the Evangelical Church that has changed in its attitude. The international political coverage of Ortega is now very weak. As you probably know, the OAS has taken two decisions regarding Nicaragua. One. Uh, it was on, on July 18th when the OAS condemned the repression against the population. And then on August 2nd, it established a working group of, of inter, uh, Latin American countries in order to look for a solution of Nicaragua, uh, for the situation of, of Nicaragua. Then insecurity is a major concern, not only of the leaders and the activists of the protest, but of normal people and business sectors. And that have had, of course, a severe 
uh, impact on the economy of, of Nicaragua. There have been more, I would say, earlier pressures against the Nicaraguan regime on the part of the international community than the pressure that was put on Venezuela at, let's say, more or less a, a certain a moment like this uh, in Venezuela. Latin America has taken a leading role, which is not common, but had not been common up to, up to now. As I said, the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights, the Organization of American States, the US to some extent, and the European Union. And there have been, as is inevitable, major sources of uh, migration, uh, which have uh, especially been channeled up to now to, to Costa Rica. I'm going to show you a, a couple of uh, things that I, I think it's important. Uh, according to FUNIDES, which is a think tank of the private sector, Fundación Nicaragüense de Desarrollo, Nicaraguan Development Foundation, they, um, they calculate uh, that the loss of uh, employment in Nicaragua up to now, well, that, that, that calculation was made on July 27th, uh, adds to about 250,000 jobs out of a working population of roughly 3 million people. Of that population, according to the official data, which is really unbelievable, 3% is unemployed, 3-9%. But 42% is underemployed. So if you, if you take into account 250,000 people out of an uh, active uh, population, a working population of close to 3 million, you, you have roughly between 7 and 8% of jobs that have been lost up to July 27, and the, the trend continues. This is also an estimate made by, the, by FUNIDES. They have um, this uh, yellow, I'm sorry, this blue line, the GDP increase of Nicaragua in the last years. The projection, the initial projection for 2018 and two scenarios that they take into account was one of those assumes that there is some political way to leave this crisis. And in that sense, the economy will drop to minor 0.3%, uh, well, increase or a decrease of 0.3%. And the other assumes that the political turmoil continues and they uh, estimate that there could be a plunge of close to 6% of GDP in Nicaragua this year. Being a Costa Rican, uh, of course, migration is very important for, for us. Uh, we don't have a wall, and we don't intend to have a wall along the, the border with Nicaragua. But as you can see, this is the number of um, asylum requests uh, that in Costa Rica since May 18 up to now. This is actual numbers of people to request asylum. There is a trick with this data. Not all of those that are requesting asylum in Costa Rica are newcomers. Some of them have been living in Costa Rica for some times, even maybe for years, and they are using 
the circumstances in order to, to get asylum. But not all the people that have entered Costa Rica ask for asylum. Most of them enter either illegally or they enter legally and they live with their families in, in Nicaragua. But it gives you a sense from just 87 in May of this year, we jumped to 3,344 in June and 4,241 in July. And if you want to look it at a different way, this blue bar, of the blue part of the bar, corresponds to requests of asylum by Nicaraguans in Costa Rica. The other bars are the, the yellow one is Venezuela, the green one is the north of Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. And the other ones are Colombia and some other nationalities. So after having almost no requests of political asylum by Nicaraguans in Costa Rica, we have jumped to a major uh, number of requests uh, in that sense. And I am finishing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. Okay. So. This is, you know, like the crystal ball. What might happen? What might be the way out? Uh, well, I, I, I am referring to four possible scenarios. The ideal one, very difficult to, to achieve, is that there, there are early elections under strong international supervision and after some institutional reform that guarantees that the elections will be fair and the all political parties could compete in the elections. Ortega has rejected all that up to this point. And he has said that, we, that, will, uh, that will be the equivalent of a coup d'etat, and he has rejected that. Another possibility is that dialogue really starts. So far, it hasn't started. Uh, that there is some institutional reform that creates confidence and de-escalates the protests and the turmoil in Nicaragua, and that there is a possibility to remain in that you know, soft kind of way out until the elections that are uh, set for 2021, for 2021. The other will be a recreation of the previous statu quo in different circumstances, co-opting the private sector, uh, trying to convince the private sector that you the option is Ortega or Chaos, and trying to convince some international sectors of the same thing. And the fourth possibility that I think is outright dictatorship. You know, so far. A dictatorship in Nicaragua has been you know, like by, by installments, you know, little by little. You know. But now it's really an open situation of dictatorship, harsh repression, uh, disregard uh, for the international system. Whether you can keep that situation or not is very difficult to answer. Uh, if we look, at Venezuela, you can at least say that, that, that it's possible to remain in that situation for many years. If you have the will, if you have the 
resources of repression, and if the international pressure is more political than economic. Um, and so far, that has uh, been the, the case. Uh, well, what are some of the leverages that could be used in one sense or the other? Well, the Catholic Church, of course, is important. All the churches, but the Catholic Church is the better organized, and of course, the massive uh, um, religion in, in Nicaragua. Strong international pressure that goes beyond the political and goes into the trade and financial pressures against Nicaraguan regime. That's very unlikely, but it's possible. Uh, a total economic downfall of Nicaragua. I think that's unlikely also. Uh, the economy is shrinking. It has shrunk a lot. But poverty is nothing new in Nicaragua. Um, bad living conditions is nothing new in Nicaragua. Uh, so it's, it's something that, that, could be, that could be sustained for some time. The attitude of the business sectors, of course, is very important and the organizational uh, capacity of the, of the opposition. That's, that's another major issue. So far, the opposition in Nicaragua um, has been fragmented uh, deliberately by the regime. There are not necessarily a lot of uh, confidence among different sectors of the opposition. And that's, that's a problem that we have to, to face. Well, that's all I, I wanted to say. I'm sorry if I went beyond the time, but thank you very much. All right. Uh, thank you, uh, everyone, for being here. Thank you to Ambassador Dadenblum for the, the kind invitation to speak. Uh, thank you to the Hudson Institute for, for hosting this great event. Um, I'm a comparative political scientist, which means that I study uh, the politics of countries, within countries, not necessarily the relationships among countries. And so that's going to be my focus today, is the internal dynamics of, of Nicaragua, Nicaraguan politics, and, and what, kind of, what has happened historically leading up to this moment, and then how that compares to things that we might be seeing around the region, specifically uh, Venezuela, right, which, um, which the ambassador uh, has already referred to, Ambassador Ulibarri. Um, so, comparative political scientists, we, I think probably our, ma our main focus of study is democracy and democratization. And Samuel P. Huntington proposed an idea called the third wave of democratization, which referred to the democratization of, of a great number of countries across predominantly Latin America, Eastern Europe, parts of Africa, and parts of Asia, uh, after they de decolonized in the 1960s and 1970s. And unfortunately, what political scientists today over the past two or three years, what we are seeing is what some of us are calling the third reverse wave of democracy. Uh, we've, you know, we've seen a, a lot about this in the press so far um, in, in countries throughout the world, including the United States, where people's attitudes, the pu public attitudes towards democracy is maybe more indifferent than, than we've seen in the past, which is a really distressing kind of development. Um, We've also seen in countries, especially in more weakly consolidated democracies, we have seen governments take advantage of this to push authoritarian agendas, right? Uh, political systems, when, the, when this happens, move from 
If you're a democracy, a strongly consolidated democracy, you move from being a, a strongly consolidated democracy to what we call a hybrid regime, right? Or what Steve Levitsky calls a competitive authoritarian regime. Essentially, it's an electoral democracy, but uh, it's like playing, you know, a basketball game where the other team has 10 players and you have two and, you know, they bought the refs too, okay? So, yeah, you can compete, but it's not really free and fair. Uh, and then at, at the other extreme, we have, you know, outright dictatorship where there's full-scale repression of the population. Um, and I'm going to start on a positive note after saying all of that. And the positive note with Nicaragua and with, with Victor here today is that the, the Nicaraguan, Daniel Ortega and, and the Sandinista government in Nicaragua have done exactly what governments uh, throughout the world uh, in Turkey, in Venezuela, in Hungary, in Poland uh, have attempted or are, are currently doing, which is he is he has taken the country from a hybrid regime to uh, dictatorship, right? That's the negative. The positive, though, is that the student-led protest movement and the entire Alianza Civica fighting this in Nicaragua, they're a glowing exception to the trend. They are the bright spot, right? That there are people willing to, to fight and die for their country and for, for democracy, okay? So that's what, what I want to keep in mind as we discuss or as I talk about all the, the bad things that have happened. That's the really good thing, right, that we can take away from this right now. So, you know, how, how did this begin? I think that uh, Ambassador Ulibarri very clearly and coherently explained a lot of the antecedents to this. Kind of the proximate causes, as I'm sure many of you, if not all of you know, on April 16th, President Daniel Ortega's Frente Sandinista Liberación Nacional, right, his Sandinista party government, made changes to the social security system. And you would think, so what? Well, it turns out that changing social security in any country, whether it's a democracy or a semi-dictatorship, is really, really difficult, right? And so this generated um, kind of generated opposition from two lobbies, two really important private sector lobbies, right? The Consejo Superior de la Empresa Privada, the COSEP, and from the Chamber of Industry, the Cámara de Industria, the, the CADIN, among others, okay? As a part of that, thousands took to the streets in Managua, in the capital city, in León, in Esteli, in Masaya, in Granada, to, to protest. And it was the crackdown, right? That this was, first of all, one of the, the shows of unrest, uh, the biggest shows of unrest to face the government since uh, Ortega retook power more than a decade ago. Okay, He's, he has an iron grip on institutions, and this was kind of unexpected. His reaction was a brutal crackdown. Right, excessive use of force by state security forces, press censorship, and then use of paramilitaries to uh, to go after protesters. And what this did was simply fan the flames of protest, and it encouraged more of the country to side with protesters, and indeed to go out and try to to defend or recover Nicaraguan democracy. Right. So that response kind of the response of the government and then the response of the protesters appears to have uh, exposed uh, kind of some of the weaknesses of, of that government and its inability to recognize and allow democratic, any type of democratic pluralism in, in society, okay? Since that moment, since that moment, uh, the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights has said that the government has killed 317 protesters. It has disappeared. Um, 
600 of them, supposedly, and thousands have been hurt and hospitalized. Um, the Nicaraguan Association for Human Rights, the ANPDH, says the number of protesters killed is at 448. Okay? So we're talking a major crisis uh, in the country. All right? But how did it really begin? Uh, and I think that's the, that's the important thing that, kind of my comparative politics perspective. It's not just changes to the social security system, right? As Ambassador was saying, it's, it, this has been a long time coming, right? Um, there has been a slow erosion of democracy in Nicaragua since 2007. And if you go back even further, basically since Ortega and ex-president Arnoldo Aleman uh, pacted in 2000, okay, in the year 2000. Ortega is not a committed Democrat, and he never was, right? Ortega is, is a Democrat of, of convenience rather than, uh, rather than one of, of uh, vocation, right, we'll, we'll say. Uh, and what he did, well, this is what he's done since, since the year 2007. So he concentrated power of the executive branch with constitutional changes in 2007. He adopted a law criminalizing abortion under all circumstances, which was consistent with his plat party's platform, but uh, created some dissension and, and opposition in society. In 2008, he centralized power in the government and harassed opposition parties during uh, municipal elections. And this is going to be a pattern that he follows throughout the, the 10 years that follow, uh, which is essentially getting rid of any coherent opposition. He takes strategies to divide the opposition, to allow it to run for elections, but under circumstances under which any opposition could, you know, only extraordinarily win even a anything approaching a, a, a plurality of, of seats in the legislature or at the municipal level. Uh, the international community condemned these 2008 elections. They're marred by allegations of vote rigging in favor of the F FSLN, the governing FSLN. Uh, foreign donors announced the suspension of $150 million in aid. Okay. 2009, Ortega secures a con contentious Supreme Court ruling that strikes down the constitutional ban on consecutive terms. Right? This is something that we've seen throughout Latin America. Ortega copies uh, Evo Morales, who does this in Bolivia. He copies... Uh, Hugo Chavez, who does this in Venezuela. He copies Rafael Correa, who does this in Ecuador. He copies presidents throughout the region who, are, who get rid of presidential term limits, right? Uh, saying that a, a limit on his term is actually limiting the free will of the people to reelect him to power, right? Uh, journalists, government critics, civil society activists face continued harassment throughout 2009. 2010, Ortega issues a decree, right? Uh, a presidential decree allowing appointed officials, including members of the Supreme Court uh, and the Supreme Electoral Council, to remain in their posts at the end of their terms, which is to say he's extending the, the same lack of limits on their power as he did to his own power the year before, allowing his cronies to stay in office and to consolidate power over those government institutions. Okay, um, The decree preserves the 2009 ruling, because what he was afraid of was the Supreme Court uh, ruling against him running for consecutive terms, essentially reversing the decision that his croniest Supreme Court ruled uh, in favor of in 2009. Okay? Uh, in September, they uphold the removal of the ban on consecutive presidential terms. 2011, Ortega wins re-election, but it's a controversial re-election in which there are uh, claims of credible claims 
of, of fraud, okay? Um, there are transparency issues and other irregularities throughout the election. Uh, the Supreme Electoral Tribunal shows a clear lack of neutrality during this process. 2012, Ortega and the FSLN consolidate power. They win the, the November municipal elections overwhelmingly. Uh, the FSLN essentially takes over uh, local government to a degree it had not been able to do in the past. There is increasing politicization of institutions as well, right? So minority voices essentially can't be heard. Um, in 2014, the National Assembly, controlled, of course, by the Sandinistas, allows the Constitution, uh, changes the Constitution to allow Ortega not just to run for an additional term, but lifts totally any, any limit on presidential reelection. Uh, in 2015, members of the opposition independent liberal party march in downtown Managua. They call for free and fair elections. Police respond with tear gas and beat the detained demonstrators. Right? This is, this is what we're seeing now. It's just the culmination of, of 10 years of repression in Nicaragua. Right? I, you know, I actually have two more pages of, of stuff going on in 2016 and 2017. I guess the point is, the protests seem to have come out of nowhere. right? But they didn't really. They didn't come out of nowhere. They came out of 10 years of, 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 of Nicaraguans being, being beaten down and oppressed by this government, right? And so something as innocuous as social security reform is not just that. It's symbolic. It's the government unilaterally making a decision that people are opposed to, right? It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's important because it demonstrates everything that the country is, is up against, right? You have the, the elections, these past elections in which Ortega essentially has, has the Supreme Court disallowing the Supreme Electoral uh, Tribunal, disallow the, the primary opposition candidate, Eduardo Montalegre, from running for office, right? So if you bar the opposition candidate, you were gonna win re-election, okay? So, so that's what this, this movement is up against. How did Ortega get away with all this for 10 years? How did he get away with it? And I think that that's an important component to, to understand his sources of support. And it's not that he just, he, he controlled everything and ruled through the military, no. Uh, you know, his, his party retained significant support among Nicaraguans for a number of reasons. One, economic growth increase in Nicaragua, right? To a, a degree that it hadn't in the past. Two, government-backed programs helped reduce poverty very seriously. Right? Uh, Nicaragua is noticeably less crime-ridden. For those of you who, who live or have traveled in Nicaragua and know Nicaragua, it's less crime-ridden than its northern neighbors, right? Than El Salvador, than Honduras, than, than Guatemala. Nicaragua's 2017 homicide rate, well, this will increase now this year, but his 2017 homicide rate was seven killings per 100,000 people, right? That's the lowest in Central America, lower even than Costa Rica. Right, this, this Switzerland of, of, of the Caribbean, right? Nicaragua is, had, had lower homicide rate. El Salvador's murder rate was 60 per 100,000, and Honduras's was 43 per 100,000. Okay, so significantly higher. Uh, it's a product of, of decades of experimental policies, of, of community policing, of women's empowerment, all these, these sorts of things, right? And really the Sandinista government getting rid of, of the oppressive, um, Guardia Nacional, right, from, from the Somosista, from the Somoza regime, okay? Ortega also forged alliances with a very important business community, 
in Nicaragua, right? Uh, and he moderated to a certain degree his criticism of the United States. Essentially, he gets away because he has political sycophants on one side and private sector enablers, right? This is, you know, he has an alliance. Nicaraguan history is just a series of alliances, by the way, right? Outside of, of formal political parties, it's whoever is governing forms alliances with, with other major groups. And we see this from essentially the 1930s to the present. Uh, but this is an alliance that he, that he makes between the government and the COSEP, the country's council of business chambers, all right? And that allows him to essentially violate all sorts of, of, of other things. Um, Overhauling the social security tax system without consulting business leaders was the final straw for them as well, not just for ordinary Nikas, okay? So Ortega, who comes to power as this freedom fighter against the Somoza, this horrible Somoza dictatorship, uh, has become Somoza, right? That's our other comparison. He's been, he concentrates a large amount of public and private resources in the hands of his family and close associates, right? We think Roberto Rivas is, is one very important uh, kind of associated member who, who accumulated a large degree of wealth. Uh, he controls state apparatuses like Somoza, right? Including the army, the police, and supposedly independent agencies such as the electoral machinery and the courts. And three, he uses repression and force like Somoza, more sporadically, but he uses it. This changes on April 18th. In April, on April 18th, when the protests start, Ortega goes full on Somoza, okay? Uh, so what's happened? We know the deaths, we know the injuries, we know the missing and disappeared. The Ortega government, according to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, is responsible for 98% of, uh, of deaths. We have one consequence being 23,000 Nicaraguans seeking asylum in Costa Rica right now. The, the population of Costa Rica already, as the ambassador said, is 7% Nicaraguan. There are between 350 and 500,000 Nicaraguans living in Costa Rica, right? And so you're asking another small country to absorb an additional 23,000 asylum seekers, or possibly less given that some of those people in Costa Rica might be, might be seeking asylum, as you suggested, right? You have millions of dollars lost. Uh, our friend here at the end of, of the table, Brad, owns a, owns a restaurant in Leon. Well, owned a, owned a restaurant in Leon. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happened, right? Uh, the, the tourism industry has been wrecked. 80% of hotels and 35% of restaurants have closed. 120,000 people uh, have lost their jobs. Total losses in the tourism industry stand at $230 million, right? All damaging consequences. The Nicar Nicaraguan Association for Human Rights has closed its office. There's been mistrust, government repression, social and political pol uh, polarization. And all of these things augur very poorly for Nicaragua's future, no matter, no matter if Ortega leaves today, tomorrow, or in 10 years. The changes that, that he has wrought on society in his reaction to the protests are putting Nicaragua on a path not dissimilar to those of El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. The response of the government is similar to responses of those dictatorships in the 1980s and early 1990s. And that, that is changing society in a not, not good way, right? That level of, uh, of polarization, distrust, and mistrust. So how does this compare to, to Venezuela? Uh, well, 
there are at least four similarities, right? The first of these is that Ortega uh, uses paramilitaries in order to uh, suppress protesters. Paramilitaries are people, they can be young people, they can be old people, aligned with the government, uh, who I'm sure that Victor will be able to describe them in horrifying detail in, in a little bit, uh, but who have arms and even uniforms and are paid for by the government, right? Not formally, uh, but the government, I know at least in a couple of instances, sends money to bank accounts and then, and then people belonging to those paramilitary groups are able to take that money out of the banks, right? So it's essentially kind of an indirect type of transfer from paramilitaries, uh, excuse me, from the government to the paramilitaries, right? So the government is financing paramilitaries. The paramilitaries then are the shock troops going in, uh, trying to dissemble roadblocks, trying to, uh, killing people, kidnapping people, uh, and violating human rights, okay? So in some sense, the government has one iota of plausible deniability to say, hey, it's not, it's not the army, it's not the police, it's these, you know, we, we don't know who these people are, right? Even though they very clearly know who they are, and they are uh, giving the financial resources to, to these paramilitaries in order to operate. That's a lot like Venezuela, right? Where we see colectivos in, in Caracas and in large cities that are essentially financed by the government that have access to uh, semi-automatic weapons as a result of this. And even in some cases, government training. They're trained by Cubans in, in, in Venezuela and uh, who also repre uh, repress protesters, uh, especially in 2014 and 2017 were the two big events in, in Venezuela. Two. Ortega retains the loyalty of the armed forces, just like Nicolás Maduro. You say, how in the world can this government continue to, to exist given the, the level, of, uh, the level of, of unrest in the country and the economic problems that the country is facing? Well, very clearly, if you have the support of the army, those people who have the guns are the ones who are able to call the shots. And so as long as Ortega is able to kind of retain that loyalty the way that Maduro has in, uh, in Venezuela, it seems likely that he will, he will continue in office. Three, Ortega has shown a, willing, shown a willingness, just like Nicolás Maduro, to do anything and everything to remain in power, right? Whether or not the exit costs for him are too high or he has, is just so addicted to power, he does not want to step down. And that means he's willing to kill his own population, innocent people, babies, children, right, in order to, to, to remain in power, just like Venezuela. And lastly, and very tragically, Nicaragua's opposition is weak, fragmented, and unprepared to govern just like Venezuela's. And I say this with all due respect to the protest movement, but the protest movement, like the protest movements in, in Venezuela, need to not only protest uh, the leader of their country committing atrocities, but come up with a plausible plan to govern the day after, right? Um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about this in, in the question and answer. What are the differences? Well, two important differences that, that probably bode well for Nicaragua. Ortega doesn't enjoy oil windfalls the way that Maduro does in Venezuela, right? Although maybe Venezuela doesn't either right now, as we're, as we're seeing. But Nicaragua definitely doesn't, okay? And so his, his economic power is, is much less. Secondly, things are moving at a much faster rate in Nicaragua than they did in Venezuela, right? Uh, 
I don't mean the, the long, slow erosion of democracy and, and undermining of, of rights of, of Nicaraguans. What I mean is uh, the protests occurred April 18th. The OAS has already issued, has already condemned the actions in a vote, 21 to 3 vote, mm -hmm. right? They have, they have formed a special committee to investigate uh, abuses there. The Inter American uh, Commission of Human Rights has already issued reports. The U.S. Treasury Department has already sanctioned three Nicaraguan officials. Right? These are all actions that have been taken, excuse me, actions that have been taken since, since April 18th. That's quite remarkable, right, in, in terms of the international community reacting rapidly. Um, I know separately, it's in my notes over there, but Luxembourg, I believe, and another European country have also uh, withheld uh, donations to Nicaragua as a result of, of the human rights abuses. Okay, so that's really good, and maybe that means that there is some momentum for change in the country. What does the future tell us? I agree. Uh, I agree with, with with your scenarios, Ambassador. I think that that those are all all, all possibilities. Um, the Nicaraguan opposition has to learn from Venezuela. It has to learn from, from the fragmented opposition in, in Bolivia. It has to learn from the fragmented opposition in Ecuador. It has to learn right, from all of these other, other instances of personalistic, authoritarian leaders trying to take control of state institutions and the failures of those oppositions to confront the leaders. Right, Oftentimes, they're heterogeneous the way that the Alianza Civica is a heterogeneous coalition. And as a result, there is very little holding together besides uh, kind of the hatred, right? It's a very strong word, but the hatred for, for that political leader, OK? Uh, if the international community is able to continue exercising pressure on, on Nicaragua, it's hard to imagine uh, that Ortega will be able to maintain his hold on power. That's my, that's my optimistic take because he doesn't enjoy the, those unlimited oil resources that Maduro does, right? Or even the control devices of the Cuban regime. Oh, we, don't, we don't talk about Cuba in these cases, but, but you, know, you, you don't want Nicaragua to be Cuba either. Uh, and the opposition must stay united. That's the most important thing, stay united, as it did in 1990, allowing that transition to, to civilian government, and a plan for the day after. Right? It needs to develop a plan for what happens. Ortega's gone tomorrow. What does the opposition do? Right? Uh, you don't want a series of small groups with leaders, essentially caudillos, competing for power the way that we see in, in Venezuela. We want it, there, there needs to be a leader. Everyone needs to be uh, step into line behind that leader with a, a kind of a common plan for, for governance. Uh, again, you know, if, if there's any bright spot for Nicaragua, I think it's the students who are, who are fighting. Uh, their bravery, solidarity, and leadership in the, in the push for justice and democracy is inspiring. I think that with international pressure, uh, especially, I agree, economic pressure uh, and diplomatic pressure on, on members of the, of, the, of the Sandinista government, and with continued nationwide protests, uh, it could lead Ortega back to the negotiating table that he has stepped away from. Right after retaking Masaya, I believe, uh, the past week or so. I hope that I hope that there'll be change soon, positive change in the country. Um, but it will take it will take the international community plus plus protesters plus uh, important politicians to to step forward and fill the vacuum left by uh, that weak and divided political opposition. Thank you.
Listo, sí. Seguramente no van a querer escucharme hablando inglés. Mi pronunciación es muy mala. I'm sure none of you want to hear me speaking English. My pronunciation is terrible. Sería un serio problema. It'd be a big problem. <laughs> eh, muchas gracias a ustedes por estar acá. Uh, thanks so much to all of you for being here. Al Instituto Hudson. And the Hudson Institute. A uh, Jaime, Eduardo, Josh. Quiero agradecer a Eduardo, a John, a Jaime, porque son muy pocas las personas eh, que no son nicaragüenses y conocen tan bien lo que está pasando en mi país. I'd like to thank these three gentlemen uh, because there are very few people that are not Nicaraguan that are aware of what's going on in my country. Y que pueden hacer lecturas tan precisas. Uh, and fewer that can do uh, such precise uh, assessments of what's going on. Eh, ya me ahorraron el trabajo de hacer un análisis de escenarios y de posibles soluciones. They me the work of doing a big analysis of the situation. Así que gracias. So thank you. <laughs> La dictadura de los Ortega Murillo se consolidó a través de dos pactos. Uh, the current dictatorship of Ortega Murillo uh, was Uh, founded upon two deals or pacts. In 1998, Arnoldo Alemán vendió la pluralidad partidaria. In 1998, um, Arnoldo Alemán sold the party plural, plurality. La autonomía de los partidos políticos y la institucionalidad de la Asamblea Nacional. And the autonomy of the political parties as well as the institutionality of the National Assembly. Eso a cambio de su libertad. He agreed to give all of that in order, uh, in exchange for his freedom. Luego los empresarios estuvieron dispuestos a negociar la democracia y el Estado de Derecho de todo el país para obtener facilidades políticas que aseguraran la bonanza económica de los grandes capitales. Uh, big businessmen uh, in the other deal were willing to negotiate democracy and the, the right to govern in order to exchange uh, for political favors and uh, guarantee of a good economy. Negociar con la democracia resulta atrayente para los empresarios. Podemos dejar al pueblo sin democracia y obtener dinero por ello. So the, essentially what was happening with the uh, big business, they were exchanging democracy and leaving the people, kind of hang, hanging them out to dry in exchange for uh, good business. A partir de 1998, el Frente Sandinista inició un proceso sistemático de consolidación de poder. Fueron pacientes y sigilosos. Aprendieron a amarrar los hilos correctos y construyeron el escenario perfecto para las elecciones en el año 2006. So it, in lieu of uh, those agreements in 1998, the Frente Sandinista party um, started to consolidate their power. Um, they were very patient and secretive in doing so. They learned how to pull the right strings and created the ideal scenario for the 2006 elections, making uh, Ortega's victory imminent. In esas condiciones, la victoria de Ortega era inminente. Después del triunfo, 
los oligarcas comenzaron a trabajar de la mano con Ortega para disfrazar la macroeconomía. Los nicaragüenses de base continuábamos sumidos en la marginalidad y la subescolaridad, mientras los ricos consolidaban sus fortunas, los altos mandos del ejército nacional creaban sus propias empresas y todos los demás sectores de poder vendían sus almas por favores políticos. Uh, after Ortega's triumph, uh, the oligarchs began uh, working in hand with uh, the private sector and leaving the marginalized without good education. Um, meanwhile, the, the, the rich cons um, consolidated their fortunes and the higher command of the national army were creating their own businesses and um, everyone was selling their souls uh, for political favors. El 19 de abril todo cambió y por primera vez mi generación opuso resistencia a los atropellos del régimen. On April 19th of this year, everything changed. For the first time, my generation started to resist um, the authorities of the, of the regime. La juventud universitaria se tomó las calles, las plazas, las rotondas y las universidades. Uh, the youth and university students began to take the streets, uh, the, the plazas, uh, the political, or the uh, traffic circles, and the universities in protest. Salimos con ferocidad y valentía. Nos costó la vida de cientos de hermanos estudiantes y la libertad de quienes dimos batalla desde los primeros días de lucha. Entendimos, entre balas y gases lacrimógenos, que Nicaragua debía ser reconstruida. Nos dimos cuenta, entre el dolor de la muerte y el olor a sangre, que esta era la oportunidad de oro para desbaratar el statu quo y el entramado de corrupción en el que se sustenta. We took to the streets with ferocity and bravery. Uh, it cost the lives of hundreds of university students and youth. Um, and the freedom that we decided to fight for um, was a high cost from the first day. We understood that between the bullets and the tear gas that Nicaragua had to be rebuilt. We, we realized that in between pain and death and the smell of blood, that this was our golden opportunity to break the status quo and end the corruption uh, that held it up. In Nicaragua, no existía verdadera oposición política desde la disolución de la Unión Nacional Opositora 1. Los partidos políticos actuales funcionan como organizaciones parásitas que se alimentan de los recursos del Estado y sirven de distractores de opinión. Ahora, uh, in Nicaragua, there's no true political opposition to the regime ever since the dissolving of the uh, National Opposition Union. The current political parties act as parasitical organizations uh, that feed themselves on the, the uh, resources of the state, and they just serve as distractions, uh, political distractions from what's really going on. Por primera vez, los estudiantes, los campesinos y los trabajadores nos hemos levantado para ejercer democracia desde las calles, desde incipientes espacios de articulación que nos permiten generar, generar planteamientos políticos que estructurarán los cimientos de la nueva Nicaragua. For the first time ever, uh, university students, uh, farmers, uh, blue-collar workers have all uh, come together to demand democracy uh, from the streets. Uh, from every place in the country uh, articulating um, 
that we that they want uh, new ideas politically uh, that will form the new structure of what's going to be the new Nicaragua. Lo que sucede en Nicaragua desde hace 113 días no obedece a polos políticos de derecha o izquierda. Se trata de un levantamiento orgánico de grupos oprimidos. La revolución cívica proviene de la fuerza popular, de las masas que fueron relegadas en la toma de decisiones políticas y limitadas al trabajo precario e informal. Uh, what's been happening in Nicaragua for the past 113 days does not follow political lines of right and left, uh, but rather it's a organic uprising uh, from all the oppressed groups. The civic revolution uh, comes from the public force, um, uh, from all of the masses who uh, were relegated to the margins uh, when it came to taking uh, political decisions and were limited to uh, basic forms of work and um, just inequality. No, hemos unificado para crear un proyecto de nación que busca tres objetivos principales. So we have organized into a wide uh, front looking for three uh, principles, uh, political principles. Primero, construir un sistema democrático e inclusivo donde todos cuenten y sean respetados. First is to construct a democratic system that's inclusive where everyone matters and is respected. Segundo, la reinstauración del Estado de Derecho. Cada poder del Estado debe ser independiente y apartidista. La voluntad del pueblo deberá dictaminar cualquier decisión estatal. Secondly is the reinstallation of, of the state of law. Each power of the state should be independent and neutral. Uh, the will of the people should be what dictates every decision. Y tercero, la justicia debe ser verdadera e imparcial a todos los niveles. Nuestro sistema jurídico debe apegarse de forma irrestricta a las leyes, no a la voluntad del Ejecutivo. Third is uh, true and impartial justice on all levels. Our system, our, our uh, justice system should be formed from strict uh, following of the law, not whatever uh, the judge in power determines uh, to be true. La continuidad de la dictadura es una, es una brutal amenaza para el continente americano. La continuidad de la dictadura es una brutal amenaza para el continente americano. So the, the continuation of this dictatorship is a huge threat on Nicaragua. El sostenimiento del régimen en Nicaragua crearía en nuestra región un triángulo demoníaco. The continuation of this dictatorship will create a, a Demo demonic triangle of power. <laughs> Pobreza, muerte e inmigración. Poverty, death, and immigration. Hemos visto durante décadas el éxodo de los cubanos. Uh, we've seen throughout the decades the exodus of Cubans. Desde hace dos años aumentó la inmigración venezolana. Beginning two years ago, uh, Venezuelan immigration has skyrocketed. Y ahora desde abril se han registrado más de 23,000 nicaragüenses inmigrando a Costa Rica. And since April, more than 23,000 Nicaraguans have immigrated to Costa Rica. 
Si Ortega continúa en el poder, if Ortega remains in power, tres cosas nos esperan. Three things await us. Inmigración masiva. Massive immigration. Narcotráfico y crimen organizado. Organized crime and drug trafficking. Y posibles vínculos con Rusia e Irán. And connections with Russia and Iran. Ortega es el verdadero caos. Ortega is chaos. Gracias. Thank you. We still have a few minutes. Uh, so we will take questions from all of you. Uh, we'll, be, we'll begin on the left. Christopher Schubert from the Mexican Mission to the Organization of American States. Thank you all for your very interesting presentations. I was wondering, I, I didn't hear any mention to the, to the role uh, that the UN could eventually play in this crisis. And uh, it has been said that uh, the Secretary General uh, Guterres has been uh, a little silent on this, on this matter. So if you could please uh, tell something about uh, this on your um, your opinion on what what the role of the of the UN could be uh, considering um, the rejection of the Nicaragua government to the to the actions that the the OAS has been uh, moving forward. Thank you. Okay, I, I might refer to that because I, I have been in the in the UN for some years. Uh, well, first of all, I, I think that that was an omission. I, I think that the UN could have a major role to play according to the circumstances. Let's keep in mind that so far the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights has denounced the situation in in Nicaragua. Also, Secretary General Guterres has criticized, not in a very forceful way, but he has criticized the use of repression in, in Nicaragua. And I think that this um, working group that was established by the OAS in August 2nd uh, opens a way, one of many possible ways, for the incorporation of the, of the UN in looking for a solution, as, as you said. Uh, Ortega has rejected any major role for the OAS. Uh, he has classified the OAS as an instrument of the U.S. and imperialism and uh, people who want a coup d'etat and inherencismo in, in the Nicaraguan society. So the, the United Nations could be a way out if he agrees to some sort of negotiated settlement in, in Nicaragua for opening an international door for supervision and for accompaniment of, of that uh, possibility. Um, you might keep in mind that during the 80s, when the Central American crisis was at its peak, both the UN and the OAS played a major role, along with 
Central American countries and some, some Latin American countries. So some sort of resemblance of that could be, could be established. But of course, I, I think it depends a lot on what the attitude of, of Ortega may be. Uh, for the UN, taking a very strong position is difficult because, as you know, the balance of forces there is, 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 is very, very different from the one in the, in the, in the OAS. The non-aligned movement is very important. Um, and of course, the autocratic regimes that have a presence in the, in the UN uh, well, yeah, and reflect the world are many. So it's, it's, it's not a very clear possibility, but I, but I think it, it, it could play a, a, good, a, a positive role in the future. Embajador, Javier. Thank you. Um, I'm Javier Ruper, the former Spanish ambassador here. Uh, as practically all of you have pointed out, uh, Daniel Ortega doesn't seem to be ready to abandon power. And what, uh, unfortunately, what happens to all dictators. Uh, do you think and do you see any possibility, any realistic possibility of Ortega considering some of the options that you ambassador pointed out in terms of negotiating his uh, his change of attitude, and, uh, or do you think at the end of the day there is nothing but uh, uh, exile or death for the dictator? Thank you. You or Victor? Cuando fuimos avanzando en el proceso de protesta, when we were moving forward with the protests. Entendimos que no todo lo íbamos a conseguir desde la calle. We understood that we weren't going to achieve everything from the streets. Y eso nos trajo por primera vez hace dos meses a, a Washington. So for the first time, after, uh, two months ago, that brought us to Washington, D.C. Y de esa visita conseguimos tres sanciones Magnitsky más. With that visit, mm -hmm. we uh, were able to get three officials sanctioned. Y nos, y nos convertimos así en el primer país con mayor cantidad de sanciones. Pero esto tuvo una repercusión directa en el régimen. Y hay una ley que se llama NICA Act. There's a ley, uh, there's a law called the NICA Act que tiene eh, casi dos años de estar eh, esperando que el Senado la apruebe. Esta ley es sumamente importante porque castiga los actos de corrupción y la violación de derechos humanos. Eh, es, es ridículo pensar It's to think que Estados Unidos siga enviando dinero a Nicaragua, that the to send money to Nicaragua como cooperación binacional as a bilateral, uh, mientras eh, el Estado, la dictadura uh, while the dictatorship sigue matando a su pueblo. La embajada de los Estados Unidos en Nicaragua, the, uh, US in Nicaragua 
constató que vehículos, eh, herramientas que se habían eh, donado a la Policía Nacional estaban siendo usados para secuestrar, torturar y matar nicaragüenses. Entonces, NICAAC pone un freno rotundo So the NICA Act puts, uh, puts the brakes on. A eh, toda relación económica que este país pueda tener con Nicaragua. And all of the economic support from the United States. Siempre y cuando continúa habiendo eh, violación a los derechos humanos y a la democracia. Always, as long as uh, violence continues. Esa es la única forma de hacer que Ortega se siente a negociar. This is the only way that Ortega will sit down and negotiate. You want a quick answer too? Yeah. That's okay. I think that's a great question. Uh, what happens to dictators when they, when they, how do they leave office? I mean, they, they're exiled or they, uh, or they die, right? Or they're killed. And I think that what, what Ortega has done is he's created an enormous game of chicken in which he's raised those exit costs by repressing and, and people. And so after killing your own population, What happens? You either become a harder line dictator. Uh, one, you end up going into exile because of any number of, of other factors, or you're killed by your own state security forces, right? So those, those seem to be the likely landing spots for him, in my opinion. Thanks. Uh, any questions on the right? Yes, sir. Very interesting, and I would particularly appreciate the, the presence of uh, somebody who is trying to do the right thing for his country. And uh, I do believe that the U.S. has to play a key role in this, and I do believe that the economic leverage is very important. And um, I, I, I think your remarks, we. I call on my country to step in, uh, not, you know, not with an invasion, but uh, I would like to see an ex a the exposure of the corruption of the the Ortega regime, and where where is his money? Where where are his bank accounts? What you know? What crimes is he committing? Financial crimes that not just in his country, but he's breaking international laws. And, and I think that this type of political pressure can cause, almost force the U.S. to take a further steps. Because I, you're right, he's either going to have to leave, and I don't know where he'll leave, but he's probably thinking about this. He probably has money stashed away, or he's going he's to have to be overthrown. I don't know if you can comment on this. Thank you. Well, uh, <laughs> no, you're, you're, no, I think you're right. Of course, uh, totally right. Um, well, I think the, 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 the economy of Nicaragua is stronger uh, at the same time weaker than the one of Venezuela. They don't have this natural resource that is oil, but it's, they have never, uh, the state have not taken control of the Of, of the economy. Uh, it has been managed 
from the macroeconomic point of view in a responsible way, second. And thirdly, it's more diversified than the economy of Venezuela. At the same time, uh, it depends on foreign trade for its subsistence. It's a very small economy, and as all small economies uh, depend a lot on, on foreign trade. And it depends a lot on financial inflows from lending organizations, such as the uh, Inter-American Development Bank and others, and also of bilateral cooperation. And of course, many members of the Nicaraguan uh, political and Sandinista elite have uh, accounts and use the international financial system for, for their benefit. So I think that the US could put a lot of pressure. And the NICA Act especially establishes that the US should oppose any financing of Nicaragua by lending institutions while there is no uh, real democracy in the country and uh, repression continues growing. It, it's a it's rather, it, it has at least uh, three years, it, it, it's three or four years old. It was approved by the, by the um, House of Representatives in 2017, but it's pending in the, in the Senate. So that could be a good step forward. And also using the financial system, you know, all the plumbing of the international financial system comes through the, the US. So you could use that as, as a leverage, especially against particular members of the, of the Nicaraguan regime. That being said, I'll, I'll just add um, my cynical take, mm -hmm. which is that, well, I think there's a lot the US can do. I'm not sure that there is a political will to do those things. Uh, it took a lot for the United States to act uh, against Venezuela, and that has a lot, in my own opinion, my opinion, to do with uh, the significant Venezuelan population, and especially South Florida. And so domestic political pressures have uh, influenced a, a, an international decision. And there is not a significant Nicaraguan population in the United States. And so it's going to be up to people like Victor uh, and other leaders, student leaders and otherwise, to, to come to Washington and to put pressure on, uh, on the government to, to, to act, as you say. Thanks. I just had a meeting last week at the Heritage Foundation. I am nobody. I, don't, I know nothing about politics. I just live in Nicaragua, and I became friends with Victor during the protests. But um, in my meeting at the Heritage Foundation, I uh, became aware, and you'll have to correct me on the banks, but there's US tax money still being sent to Nicaragua. So that's something that I think we should definitely work on through USAID, uh, the World Bank, I believe, and, and another bank, IDB, maybe, or something like that. IDB. IDB. Um, so this should not be happening. So that's just something that came to our attention during the, the meeting I had last week. But. Yes, sir. Uh, the United States has a history of supporting the so-called... Uh, Would you give us your name on... Yeah, sure. Uh, this, I'm Ken Meyer, I produce a TV show called Civil Discord. Uh, the United States has a history of uh, supporting the so-called color revolutions around the world. 90% um, of Nicaragua's imports of arms and munitions comes from Russia. 
Uh, last year, Russia opened a satellite tracking station in Nicaragua. This year, on May 8th, uh, they signed a memorandum with Nicaragua, which caused the Spanish newspaper to ask, will Nicaragua, Nicaragua become Russia's Cuba of the 21st century? Could there be a connection between these developments and the unrest in Nicaragua? Uh, I think that I'm the person who's tasked with answering this question. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Uh, the grievances of, of Nicaraguans are not, uh, by all indications, are, are not influenced by that. More so, I would say, China than Russia, right? Uh, especially China's proposed uh, interoceanic canal. Uh, that was a cause, cause of, of other uh, smaller, uh, but still protests uh, over the past two years. So that more than Russia seemed, seemed you know, China uh, seems to, to, to play a larger role. Maybe Victor can, can speak to that. Yes, I think it could uh, turn itself into the Cuba of this century. Pero para que eso no suceda, creo que este país tiene una, un papel muy importante. But this country has a big role to play in that not happening. La economía de Nicaragua se sustenta en las relaciones comerciales que tiene con Estados Unidos. The Nicaraguan economy is highly dependent on the relationship it has with the United States. Este país es el socio comercial más importante y quien sostiene con ayuda económica, con empleos, Nicaragua. This country and its economy is what maintains uh, Nicaragua's economy. Rusia no va a poder sostener a esa dictadura. No, no, no le interesa estar pasando un cheque mensual para hacerlo. Russia is not interested in sending checks, monthly checks to Nicaragua to keep their economy afloat. Pero si la política exterior de este país But if the external policies of this country considera que sigue siendo más importante mantener las relaciones comerciales por estabilidad si la política exterior de este país considera que es mejor mantener relaciones comerciales con Nicaragua para mantener estabilidad so if, it, if they decide that the external policies are necessary to maintain economic stability entonces Daniel Ortega va a estar en el poder por muchísimo tiempo Ortega will stay in power uh, as long as he can he's 72 though you need to understand que Ortega ha logrado por 12 años acaparar todos los espacios de poder Ortega through the years have, has been able to uh, consolidate all of the sectors of power porque duerme todos los días abrazado del empresariado because he sleeps every day uh, hugging the private sector y justamente <laughs> Este empresariado vive de los negocios que tiene con Estados Unidos. And the private sector businesses live on the relationships they have with the United States. Si este gobierno le da la espalda a Daniel Ortega, if, this, if our government here in the States gives it, turns its back to Daniel Ortega, rotundamente los empresarios van a tomar el lado del pueblo, lo que el pueblo está exigiendo. Then the private sector will take the side of the people of the country. Rotundly so. Rotundly so. Yeah. 
And I, I, I did actually also have a meeting with uh, David Shedd. Uh, do you know that name? Uh, he's, he was the uh, late director of intelligence under Obama years ago. He's retired CIA. Um, and he was telling me that he 100% believes that Cuba is behind what's going on mm. in Nicaragua right now with their intelligence. And they're backed by Russia. So mm. uh, he, his professional opinion was that Cuba is very much involved. Um, on the ground in Nicaragua, mm -hmm. of course. Una última pregunta, one last question. In that case, I thank you very much for having been here with us this afternoon. And uh, I believe that uh, our extremely wonderful panel, brilliant, <laughs> deserves a final round of applause. Please. Okay.